Hello, podcast listeners. Uh, it's uh, Jason Benjamin here. Uh, we just wanted to tag this on the front of this week's podcast because uh, you're about to listen to a podcast about communion, uh, which was submitted by our dear friend Tom Lopak. We love Tom. And it ended up being a, a two-part series, so we've got the next two weeks covered, um, but covered. But we do need um, some ideas, maybe. We have some... Some things have been on our list for a while that we might cover, but if there's something that is on your guys' heart or burning questions you have, please comment um, below or send us an email at deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com because we'd love to hear from you. That's right. We think probably what we're talking about is going to mean more to you if the topics come from you. So we have a lot of ideas. We could talk for hours and hours and hours about totally whatever, but... Yes. Uh, it'll just be more fun coming from you. So thank you, Tom, for being the first person to do that for us. And we hope that you, listener, is the next. Perfect. Well, enjoy this week's uh, podcast about communion. And we will talk to you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> there we go. Cool. That's perfect. Love it. Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning, the middle, and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions as we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God. May our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you'd like to go crush up some fresh herbs and steep them in boiling water, Let's go. <laughs> Take that cup and enjoy the Deep Waters Podcast. Oh, that's funny. Hi, Her- Jace. Herbs and water. Herbs and water. Isn't that what it is? I mean, it's all that tea is, you know? Yeah, I guess. It depends on what, what is an herb. This one is ginger turmeric. Mm-hmm. What qualifies as an herb? I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I think of herbs as like, like okay. sage and basil and oregano, cardamom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, but I don't. An know. herb. What about like a root from the Oxford Dictionary? Yeah. Any plant with leaves, seeds, or flowers used for flavoring food, medicine, or perfume. There we have it. And more specifically in botany, any seed bearing plant that does not have a woody stem and dies down to the ground after flowering. Oh, that is specific. Thank you, botany. That makes sense. <laughs> so ginger being a root. I probably guess, wouldn't classify. I don't know. Would you? Or you think it would? Because the, the banana plant is the world's largest herb. What, a banana plant? Mm-hmm. What, like the one, the tree that bananas grow off yeah. of? Yeah. It's more of a big bush than wow. anything. And they grow really fast. So fast. Wow. I didn't know that until I lived in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Look, already we're really off topic. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, it's cool. I, I think this, even like who first steeped herbs in water to make tea, who, you know? Who did that, you know? 
probably the Chinese. I'd have to think. Hmm. Probably. I Maybe mean, it's green tea. But like black and green tea are both their own plants. But weren't Native Americans also drinking tea? They True. were definitely playing around with herbs. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's just something that they dates had some back. Intense herbs, I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's just uh just it's like you give humans long enough, they'll they'll invent the wheel. They'll figure mm-hmm. it out. I wonder if tea was like that. Like, totally. <laughs> Probably. And I'm sure because like, you know, you could go and like throw fresh mint in water and it's still delicious. Yeah. But like tea is usually dried. It's like, how can I enjoy this flavor without eating it? But I think it's amazing that <laughs> the like to get chocolate and coffee is a much more intensive process that someone eventually figured out. Oh, totally. It's like, let's take the pit of this cherry and dry it and then roast it and then crush it and then drink it. That's what coffee is. Yeah. Like run water through it. And chocolate, you have to take it out of the cacao plant, let it ferment. Whoa, really? Yeah. It goes through a fermentation process and then ground and like these clever people. And it's amazing. It's like someone accidentally found fermented cacao and chocolate happened. Probably. Yeah. It's just a cacao pod on the ground. They're like, this is pretty good. How do things come to be? Uh, Our recipes, our theologies. Come on. Are you segueing right now? You see that? This is so good. Wow. Thanks. Because I feel like we're over here as Christians just saying, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I follow this way of Christ. Um, And in Christianity, we do this thing called communion or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist, or Mass, (laughs) depending on what your Mm -hmm. tradition is. And for whatever reason, we've come to believe different things about it as Christians. And yet, still, there's like a lot of unity in the midst of it, and it all comes from the same concept. So how did we come to believe the thing that we believed about communion? Epistemology. Yeah, that's good. I had to look it up real fast. Did you? Did yeah. you just Google it? Yeah, I just wanted to like get on your level. You know? <laughs> yeah, how do we know what we know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna talk about communion today. I'm excited more than herbs. Um, though we love Michael and Haley herbs, we also <laughs> love herbs from the ground. We love herb. Yeah, we love Herb. <laughs> Big Herb fans. Herb Kinney. Uh-huh. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. We love you. Um, yeah, so we just felt like this was important for a number of reasons. One, it's just something that we talk about in the Christian world and on church staff a fair amount. And this past week, um, I had an inquiry from someone who listens to the podcast asking if we could talk about this, which was like, yay. Yeah. Someone took us up on our offer to tell us what they want to hear. So I love it. We're doing it. We're just going to dive in. Um, Today's going to be kind of a deep theological dive of communion, more from a like systematic theology approach. Do you know, do you know what those words mean? Systematic theology? Is that like a thing that people know? Uh, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's like, is this like an across the Bible generalized theology is that what it means kind of a yeah when i think of systematic theology i think of like it's definitely coming from the bible 
but I'm applying my rationale and my skills of reason to build these different systems and structures that define things that are now extra biblical. So like the Bible doesn't tell us about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. It just has a big mystery about this God who appears in different ways and somehow yeah. exists as three, but supposedly we claim is one, okay. you know? So like, there's just a big old problem kind of that scripture created yeah. and the systematic theologians had to take that problem and put language to it so that people didn't fall into heresy and misunderstand who Jesus is, for example. Totally. Does that make sense? So they had no. to build like a system yeah. of language that all feeds off of other language so that we can have some understanding around a concept. Yeah, no, that's good. It's like, it's like if you looked at a coral reef and watched all the different interactions and like benefits of some animals to other animals and they don't have like, they can't describe it because they're animals. But for us to understand it, we have to build out like names and places and like, look how this interacts with this wow. to get a great understanding of like a biosphere or something. That's cool. I like that. That's where my, my, my brain went. It's like, so we have to, we kind of have to put a system on something hmm. that in itself doesn't need that system to run, but for us to understand it. That's a great metaphor. We have to like, we have to put that on it. A little yeah. Bit. It's like, Oh, it's, a tomato, a fruit or a vegetable. Mm-hmm. It's just human constructs trying to make sense of the world. Yeah, exactly. Does it really matter? True. But you know, some people would say absolutely it matters. And then they'll talk about like what plant is the cousin of which other plant like cucumbers mm-hmm. and, and zucchini. They must be really closely related, but like, why do we, why do we talk about that? Like, why does it matter? Yeah. But the <laughs> fact, the fact that it, even if you don't believe a tomato is a fruit or a vegetable, doesn't make it not exist. I still love pizza. <laughs> yeah. Pico de gallo. Mm-hmm. It's my number one. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> like, you know, we can say whatever we want about the Trinity within reason, <laughs> but, wow. but there is this like one in three E God out there that we don't quite understand. Wow. And that I don't think that just because we can't quite land on a definition of it doesn't mean it's not there and important. Wow. I love that. I feel like what you just did is offer us a definition for what objective truth looks like. Oh. So um, if the Trinity exists, then it does exist objectively regardless of what we think about it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So everyone on the world could disbelieve the Trinity but that doesn't change the fact that the Trinity exists. Mm-hmm. If it, in fact the Trinity does, yeah, which like, we that, affirm yeah. it does as mm-hmm. Christians. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I feel like in, in theological conversation, we bump up a lot against objectivity and subjectivity. Yeah. So what is the way that I perceive this truth is different than what is that truth itself? Yeah. This is where philosophy starts to get really hairy. <laughs> maybe we, maybe we like dip back into that at the end to see if mm. we can like think about any mm. objective or subjective kind of ways of viewing. That's good. Cause I'm sure we're going to go through totally like very different ways to view communion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what part of the communion is like the shared bit of the Venn diagram that might be the objective part. That's beautiful. 
I love that. I don't know. My we'll, brain we'll obviously works in completely visual ways. <laughs> <laughs> you and mine both. Yours and mine both. Uh, should we? Should we start with maybe talking about a little bit of scripture? Yeah. We're planning to record another episode where we're going to dive a lot more into scripture around this conversation. So this will be a two-part series, most likely. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you can't have systematic theology without scripture. You really right? can't. No, totally. And so there is a basis of scripture in this episode. Amen. Yes. All of the stuff that we're talking about in the systems of theology are built on scripture. But you'll notice they disagree with each other because they disagree on how you ought to interpret certain words within scripture. Okay. For example, in John chapter six, Jesus is talking to all of his disciples, um, you know, just having a nice time. All of a sudden he starts to say some weird things that make him sound like he's encouraging cannibalism. He tells them, um, I am the bread of life. You know, he's talking about Moses when the manna came down from heaven and he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. You do not have life unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. These are my paraphrases, but check yeah. it out in John chapter six. It's kind of a long section because his followers push back against him. Not like the 12 disciples, but the mm-hmm. people who are in the crowd, they're saying, wait, what's, what are you saying? What's going, you can't surely mean that. Yeah. And he, um, with, with every like uncomfortable response from the crowd, Jesus turns the volume of the offensiveness up in his language. Wow. Um, until he says like, eat me and drink my blood. And then people are so disturbed that nearly everyone surrounding him just leaves except the 12. And then he looks at Simon Peter and says, are you going to leave me too? Or he looks at his disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And that Simon Peter says, where else would we go? Yeah. Only you have the words of life, hmm. which I want to bookmark that because whatever Simon Peter's tapping into is really beautiful there. It's like he recognizes, honestly, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Whatever you say, no matter how offensive it is, I'm here for it. Wow. Cause you are God and I'm in. Come on. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think we need more of a posture like that as Christians just in general. Yeah. But uh, too often, I mean, I find myself, I'm speaking to myself as kind of fickle that if God is demanding something of me, it's like easier to remove myself mm-hmm. in certain situations. Oh yeah. I think we've, this is a quick side note, but like a lot of what Christ says is, offensive to the way we live our lives now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we focus on that as much. So it's like, even as you like go through the gospels, like let it, let him offend you. Wow. Let it like, kind of like break those boxes and then let him like help you rebuild them. You know what we just did last night at youth group was read the sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. out loud to the whole youth group, but in the message, which I don't typically read mm-hmm. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase yeah. of the Bible. It was stunning. That's cool. And I like don't know that I would have made all of the interpretive decisions that Eugene Peterson did. But what was so cool about it is it actually like it spoke to our culture in a way that it did kind of offend me. Yeah. And I've just gotten numb to the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. Totally. You know, I mean, hopefully not completely, but there was a certain edge and spiciness to Jesus's words as 
paraphrased through Eugene Peterson that made me feel more convicted multiple times throughout the sermon. That's cool. And I was really grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you, Eugene Peterson, for offering that to the church. Mm -hmm. So I'd encourage that exercise for someone else. I love how much you guys are reading scripture at the, with the youth group. Yeah. This is one of your home hangs, right? Yeah, exactly. And like you are like reading just big chunks of scripture during these times, <laughs> yeah. right? We just call it the word and spirit nights mm -hmm. where half of the night is filled with just reading scripture. We don't have a sermon or anything. We just let the scripture be the sermon. And then we worship and pray and offer like prophetic um, words or whatever to one another based on what the Holy Spirit seems to be leading us into. Come on. Last night was really beautiful. I think a lot of people got spoken to directly by mm -hmm. God. It was really special. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Youth group is a sacred place. I'm so honored to get to be a part of it. But um, all that said, John 6. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Is offensive. Mm -hmm. I think... It can be helpful for us when we're reading scripture to see that when other people are offended and we aren't feeling offended, we should say, oh, I've gotten too used to this passage. Mm -hmm. Let me figure out where that offense is coming from and the people who are listening so that it actually helps me understand truly what Jesus is saying. Because like people interpreted his words as literal. Yeah. That's why they were so offended. Mm-hmm. Because it was, yeah, like you said, encouraging cannibalism. <laughs> and he never refuted it. Yeah. I mean, he knew that that's like what we they need were to refute it, refute it on here. Cannibalism and, is bad. Yeah. Let's just say, yeah, right now we refute cannibalism. <laughs> All right. Perfect. You heard it here. That's a, that's a firm stance with mm -hmm. the church. Just firm, just so firm know. stance. Cheers. Uh, we don't like to make super firm stances on some nuanced conversations mm -hmm. on this podcast, but that one, I think we can both very confidently. Yeah. <laughs> stand I'll stand behind that one. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Any day. Um, <laughs> so I, I, that's one thing I want to point out. Look at John six. Another one I just want to point out as we get into this conversation is first Corinthians 11, where Paul is dealing very seriously with the Corinthian church around the issue of the Lord's supper. Um, so you see in Corinth, there were people that were privileged and could start eating the, the meal before the working class got off of work and could join them. Oh, oh. And by the time that the working class got off and could join them, the food was gone and the elite people were drunk because they'd had too much of the communion wine. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, reading between the lines of what's going on in Paul's letter in first Corinthians. That's something that had been happening in Corinth. Yeah. Like we say often, the Corinthian church was just very messy. <laughs> um, and so Paul has to correct that. He says, oh my goodness, like wait for the rest of your brothers and sisters yeah. before you start and don't get drunk on this wine. And then he says like, examine yourself before you come to the table because coming to the table is a really significant thing. He hmm. even points out that people have gotten sick and even died taking communion without first examining themselves. Wow. Which seems to imply that like communion is doing something. Mm -hmm. There's, there's something really significant happening there. Um, that's different than just another nice Friday meal with your friends, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. How do you receive that passage? People have died taking communion with the wrong heart. 
Yeah. Like that's in our Bible. I don't know what the, what to do with that. Yeah, that's that that would be a passage that stands out as a bit offensive to some of my systematic theologies, you know? <laughs> I was like not I mean, I don't have systematic theologies, like I haven't written anything. Um but like the constructs in my mind of yeah, I just I don't know. That's that that's a box breaker for me. Yeah. And so, but like you said, I do land on oh, it is very important. And there's something happening with my spirit and body combined. Wow. Like it's like this, this, it's this full, full human experience. That's good. um, Act. Mm -hmm. It's like a holistic ritual Mm -hmm. where I love that word. Something significant in the divine is interacting with me. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So this is great. So the early church is trying to figure out how to make sense of this. Mm hmm. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it and do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood, which is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood. Drink it. Mm -hmm. He like is using a very strong metaphor at least. And some people in the early church, we're going to argue like a surprising amount of Christianity has viewed that as more literal than we do in like the evangelical church in America. Yeah. So we'll just go to the, maybe that's a good segue into the Catholic response to this. Sure. Do you think? Yeah, totally. Um, there, the, the conversation, wow, we could really go a lot of different directions, I guess, but, um, the conversation is a large one with a lot of history and there's been a lot of division over it. And we want to say, and we'll say it again, that our heart in this is unity. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to call any one perspective out as super wrong or stupid for thinking a certain thing. Yeah. We want to hold honor for all of these views. Absolutely. Um, I think that's so good. Yeah. That's our heart posture. Why do you feel like the communion especially has been such a divisive issue in the church? I mean, not to over-spiritualize things, but I think it's because it's supposed to be the thing that brings us together the most. Oh, wow. And Satan hates that. Yeah. So to me, it only makes sense that the powers of darkness would target the things that are meant to do the most good and make them actually do the opposite of what God intends for them, which I see in like, like sex, for example, it's meant for intimacy and Satan uses it to rip like loving situations apart. Yes, totally. To actually create shame, which repels you from intimacy. Yeah. So it's like whatever God has created that does one thing really well, um, when it's contorted and gross by the enemy, it'll be flipped up to do the inverse of that thing. Wow. That's really good insight. I think that's what's happening. No, I'm not. I could totally see that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Those that thought mm-hmm. about sex, at least, and other things. He didn't say this about communion, at least, but that's a C.S. Lewis thought. So mm-hmm. don't think that I can. Well, that. I mean, real quick, like I feel like we've said this on the podcast, but mm-hmm. communion was the center of the Christian gathering for thousand, like a thousand years, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. We'll probably get into that, but yeah. like that, like that's it. That's the that's the the central point and it's, it's sense has, um, 
become more decentralized. But which is definitely something to consider. Mm-hmm. It says in Acts chapter two, when they, I, that passage that I probably quote more than any other passage, cause I love looking at the early church. Um, it says that the early believers, the Christians of that day committed themselves to the instructions of the apostles, to the teachings, to the breaking of the bread mm-hmm. and so on talking yeah. about generosity where they sold their things for one another so and good. so on. But like the breaking of the bread right there, that's communion. Um, and it means not just having like a little wafer and sipping some grape juice, but they're having a meal together. Yeah. And at the meal, um, that's their worship mm. service. Yeah. So they share with one another what's happening in their lives vulnerably. They pray with each other. Someone will stand up and just start singing spontaneous worship and other people will join in. We have accounts of the early church doing stuff like this. Wow. So their home churches were meals mm-hmm. where they just did encouragement and Christian life together. I mean, some parts of the early church did this nightly every single day when they got off of whatever their labor was. Wow. Um, but it was especially important throughout the ages to do it on Sunday, resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. Come on. Um, so yeah, a meal and it was designed to bring us together. Mm -hmm. So it would be really ironic and heartbreaking if that isn't, what is achieved here in this conversation? Totally. That said, let's get into the four different views. Let's do, let's do it. Yeah. You said, um, that the bread and the cup were kind of at the center of the Christian gathering for a huge portion of the early church. We say roughly like 1500 years, Mm -hmm. give or take until the reformation. Um, that's true. Like the Catholic church actually, calls their Sunday gathering mass and that in the Latin, I forget actually what it even is, but it's connected to the, the Lord's supper. Wow. Like the reason that they meet is to partake of the Lord's supper together. That's so cool. Um, I actually, I read something earlier. Let me see if I still have it. Yeah. Uh, a Catholic person had written this and I thought it was really fascinating. He said this, the, um, that the Eucharist, which is their word for the Lord's supper. It's just a Greek word that means Thanksgiving or to give thanks. But he said the Eucharist is the sum and summary of the Catholic faith. For you to say that your whole faith is summarized in the sacrament, the Lord's supper, um, means that you, you put a lot of emphasis on that. That's at the center of things for the Catholic church. And it was at the center of the things for the Christian church until the reformation. So as a Protestant, I just want to call that out and say, we should maybe be learning from our Christian brothers and sisters throughout time and space Yeah, who have appreciated something that maybe we haven't made the same amount of time to appreciate. That's good. That's a good word. Were you just looking something up? Uh, the meaning of mass. Oh yeah. Did you find anything? Um, I think it means like go or to be sent. Oh, is what I'm finding. Sweet. But well, that's, well we could go with your definition. I'm too. glad. No, I mean my, my definition, I'm just kind of pulling that out of my memory okay. banks, which was so long ago that it might be corroded. No, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, 
So that's great. Actually, I don't know the origins of the word mass then. If there's a Catholic person who's listening to this and knows, please comment and let us know. But um, all that to be said, the center of mass is the Lord's Supper. That's that's the goal. I mean, yeah. Have you ever been to a Catholic mass? I have a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. I've have never, you? No, I've never been. I'd oh. love to go. Oh, it's a cool experience. Mm-hmm. If you have an open heart and yeah. you're not there to judge it. Totally. Um, which candidly, I have gone to a lot of church services where I've been very judgmental before I was hospitable Mm. and I'm bummed about that because if you just come in thinking, oh, their worship is so dry and inauthentic and oh my gosh, they're that song they're singing isn't even in English. Most of these people don't even understand it Mm because they're singing Latin or, you know, this, that, or the other thing like that's the stuff that just drives division between yeah. us as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's good. And maybe that's a little controversial for me to say on this podcast. I don't know, but I affirm that Catholicism is a part of the body of Christ just as much as yeah. the Presbyterians or the Methodists or the Baptists or any other, any other part. That's and beautiful. we can talk about that more mm-hmm. another day, but actually I think we did Christian essentials. That was one of our first podcasts. Yeah like episode four or something. Mm -hmm. So if you're curious about that, go look that up. Um, I'll just say, we're finally getting to it. (laughs) The Catholics have this systematic theological word transubstantiation have you heard that word before is that i have yeah i have i mean i've heard it just being in the church world a little bit sure i didn't know what it meant for a long time sure just because it's like i don't know i don't know more just like a random word that sounds kind of fun <laughs> sure, it transubstantiation. is transubstantiation that's a lot of a lot of syllables in one I word know. makes me sound way smarter than i am <laughs> Because I don't even know what it means, you know? Wow, that's good. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Um, Let's talk about it. It's fun if you know your Latin roots at all, because it's kind of in the name tran, as in like transportation, Mm -hmm. transmit. Something is moving from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And then substantiation, we're talking about the substance of something transitioning into something else. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and those are key words that like the Catholic church would use. They say the the holy elements, the bread and the cup, mm-hmm. the wine are consecrated with prayers from scripture. And at the moment of consecration, the bread and the, the wine actually change in their essence, in the substance into Jesus's body and blood. Mm -hmm. Now you might be thinking, what? (laughs) Yeah. Why don't they taste blood when they drink the Mm -hmm. wine? Yeah. Um, They don't believe that they do taste blood. Instead, this is interesting, kind of like theological. This is, this is where we get into the weeds. Yeah. They say the actual essence of the thing is Jesus's flesh and blood. Because that's what he said. They're interpreting scripture literally. Yeah. He said, this is my body broken for you. So when you eat this bread, you're actually eating my body 
literally. Mm-hmm. But it's going to taste like bread is what they say because um, there is like an essential truth of what something is called the substance of that thing. Mm-hmm. And then the attributes of that thing, which are called the accidents of something. Huh. So, or the, the, the accidents are the incidental properties of something. So Jesus's flesh tastes like bread when you're having it in the Eucharist, because what transubstantiation is, they say is it's, it's the bread actually becoming flesh, but remaining to taste like bread, which you could say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. Or ew. Or ew. Yeah. Cannibalism. Totally. Yeah. I mean, these are all real thoughts that come to my mind too. (laughs) It's worth pointing out. Yeah. I'm like, especially in our Western world, that's like less mystic. Yeah. This is like, really? Like that's what you land on (laughs) a little bit? Like, I mean, but I'm literally, this is for discussion, all honor to their traditions, but yes. Totally. Yeah. I think it's fair to call it out like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause it's odd. It is odd. Uh, especially from our like post enlightenment, you know, postmodern Western world where, I mean, look at the thing. It's not flesh. Yeah. Taste it. It's not blood. It's wine. Don't tell me that it's blood. Yeah. If it quacks, it's a, it's a duck, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is epistemology to bring it back. It's just because we're steeped in, a kind of epistemology called yeah. empiricism, where we believe something based on science, our five senses and reason, like mm-hmm. taste being one of them. Like, I believe that it's wine because it tastes like wine. But what the Catholic Church is saying is in faith, I'm actually taking Jesus's words so seriously that I believe that it's blood, even though my tongue tells me otherwise. Yeah. Which is a step of faith. Honestly, it's super beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I'm like... <laughs> When you, when you boil it down to that, like, I don't know in, at our church, like there's times where like, I'll like feel the Holy spirit and it might feel like, you know, this like weight inside of me or goosebumps. A lot of people say, yeah. And one empiricism says these are just goosebumps. Like maybe the AC just kicked on whatever, <laughs> yeah. but it takes faith to be like, wow, I, the Holy spirit, like the Holy spirit was like on on whoever was preaching or wow, like the, I'm, do you feel the presence of God, you know? And that takes just the same faith as it does to believe in transubstantiation. Wow. I think. Amen. I think if a Catholic were listening to you say that, they'd be really excited because they agree. Hmm. And I agree. Not that I affirm transubstantiation, yeah. but totally agree with that thought. That's a really cool way yeah, to put it. I, I literally just in processing that here from my initial you to like wow like <laughs> that faith is beautiful and uh-huh. so many other physical things i feel in my relationship with god you know uh-huh. science wouldn't say is god but i say it's yeah. god you know because of you know i don't know there's something there because i have faith in it i feel like what you're pointing out is the supernatural and the miraculous just don't make sense to our modern concepts of reality. Yeah. And so to say that anything is supernatural feels weird Mm -hmm. to our culture. Yeah. Not our Christian culture, but our like American culture. So to say, Hey, 
we prayed over that person's back and he was miraculously healed from pain he'd been experiencing for eight years. Mm -hmm. Typically, like you tell someone else that who's not a Christian or who is a Christian. Yeah. And they'll start with skepticism. Yeah. Like, no, that doesn't happen. Yeah. What did he like go to the hospital and have a good surgery? And you're just calling that God. Uh, must have been a coincidence, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I I just want to point that out. Like, there's just as much faith, if not more faith, to believe that that kind of a miraculous thing happens as this kind of a miraculous thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad you pointed that out. And it would be ironic, I think, if we were in a culture that affirmed the supernatural in some ways but not in other ways. Mm -hmm. If we like celebrate miracles um, of healing, but we laugh at like, oh, this view of communion. Mm -hmm. When there are people who do the inverse of that, they celebrate the supernatural of communion, but they laugh at people who look at miracles. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just want to expose that and say that might be something worth examining inside of ourselves. Yeah. That might be something that the enemy uses, like we talked at the beginning to cause division Hmm. because sometimes we just don't see how similar we all are. Wow. That's good. That's good. Amen. Yeah. The Catholics, uh, they affirm this so much that many people, I was doing a little bit of research and found this, many Catholics throughout history, Christians throughout history, even before the thing was the Catholic Church, have died protecting the little wafers of bread. Wow. Um, Or risked their lives. So like one example is there was a Catholic Church in the Bronx in New York City that was on fire. It like lit fire really early one morning. Mm -hmm. Huge fire. Um, this was in 1912, uh, the fire department was there, but they said nobody go in, including our firefighters. Cause there's no people inside and the building is condemned. Like we just have to fight yeah. it from out here at that state. Two priests ran into the church just to retrieve the Eucharist. Wow. There was nobody inside, mm-hmm. but they ran in to get the little bread wafers and bring them out into safety because they have so much conviction that that's actually Jesus's body and it needs to be handled with reverence. It can't be burned in something like that. Isn't that fascinating? That's so fascinating. It's like, Mm. what kind of conviction does that require? Totally. Wow. Um, There are a lot of stories like that. Martyrs that were beaten just because they refused to like let the bread of the Eucharist be defamed or mocked it's really fascinating so if you want to look into that history google it but um they yeah maybe should we just move on to the second view here yeah i I don't know if you said did you read uh point d god the summary of the catholic faith god present with us communing with our flesh oh i didn't read that second half of it yeah i like that like that's just really beautiful and Mm. i'm like I feel like you can pull that from some of the Greek forms of love, you know? Wow. Of like that. Yeah, what like, do you mean? In like, um, what's the one that means like to know one another? Like the, you know, like the, yeah. The, is it agape? Agape I mean, of? but it's like, yeah. you know, it's just like this, like, I mean, we call it like to like in marriage and love, like this one flesh accord 
thing. I don't know. Wow. I'm saying just throwing <laughs> words I know together. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But, yeah. um, but you know, it's like, I think that's really beautiful because I think we translate that for a man and wife and to this, this knowing of one another and you know, God, in the same way that God like knew Moses, like this face to face thing. Wow. I don't know. I think there's just like, I can see how they get there. You know, you can, it really feels biblical. Yeah. Yeah. But it's offensive. Yes. And confusing. Totally. I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, as we're reading through this, I want to keep in the back of my mind. Do I feel like all, like I could see how they get here. Can I say that about all the reasons, all the different types of communion? Oh yeah. I'm let's just, let's do that. Yeah. I'm glad. So you said that about transubstantiation. Yeah. My guess is that's the hardest one to say that with. Okay. We're from now on only going to walk further into something that empiricism is more comfortable with. Yeah. But it's, uh, which is why I wanted to start with it. It was like, wow, let's really sit on this and cultivate a reverence for the way that if I'm actually partaking of Jesus's body and blood, then his physical essence is entering into my physical essence. Mm -hmm. And I am, I am uniting with him, like taking his being on into mine. Wow. That's why we use the word communion yeah in a in a spiritual and a physical sense yeah um i think uh-huh. sorry we probably need to move on but i was it's just good. thinking of like the holy spirit in me is the spirit of christ like that's the substance but like me externally is the accidents or whatever you're talking about oh you know? yeah like that's kind of cool an I- cool image of that of huh. like like Christ, like I believe the Holy Spirit is in all of us hmm. like that choose to follow Christ. And that is, that's the real spirit of Jesus. Yes. Amen. Intangible. Amen. And we all look different from the outside. Yeah. But the spirit of Jesus is in us. Yeah. Kind of fun. If I, this is going to feel nitpicky. Okay. But I think what a Catholic might say to that is the word substance refers to something physical. Oh, right. Um, what, so what you just landed on is kind of a later, a later oh, view that we'll let's come just, to. Let's just go to that. Um, okay. No. Does yeah. that make sense though? Yeah. Sorry, Catholics. No. <laughs> they understand. I'm yeah. sure. We love the Catholics. Okay. Uh, cause they're our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Praise God. And to say that they're not is to like say that our own Christian heritage is faulty because at one point we were all Catholics. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Uh, Okay. So consubstantiation, if you follow the words, we're no longer transubstantiation, but con, which con in Latin, do you know what that one is? I don't. Con in Spanish. Uh, With. 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 That's it? With. Well done. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So instead of saying that the actual material, the substance, the essence of the bread has become flesh. That's transubstantiation. Mm -hmm. Now we're saying consubstantiation. This is Martin Luther's um, way to answer the same problem. He says the Catholics just go a little too far with transubstantiation. Mm -hmm. I think the, the bread actually remains, but the physical body joins it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he calls it a sacramental union where both the bread and the body are literally present. And when I say literally present, I mean like physically 
the the substance, the essence of both the bread and Jesus's actual flesh are there, which like, I mean that when I say that it's not a metaphor. Yeah. Um, that's what they think in consubstantiation. So it's basically the same thing as transubstantiation. That's what I was thinking. Except instead, the bread is still present. Okay. Whereas in transubstantiation, the bread is no longer present at all. It just tastes like bread, but it's flesh. And looks like bread. Yep. And smells like bread. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that's called the accidents. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yes. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So, um, but there's another thing that I think is an important distinction when, uh, and I, I hope that I'm saying this correctly. I was doing some reading in, uh, different Lutheran articles that I found. Um, here, I'll just read this. This yeah. is a confession, which means like a theological statement that came out, um, in a German city called Augsburg in 1530, which was when all this stuff was going down. The Re- Reformation was like mm-hmm. the early 1500s. Okay. So Martin Luther is going at it right here. Um, and this is a quote from what became the Lutheran Church's cornerstone confession. It says, Our churches teach that the body and blood of Christ are truly present and distributed to those who eat the Lord's Supper. And they, being the churches, reject those who teach otherwise. It's a bummer they add that last part on there. Isn't it? Which I think is worth pointing out because that's tragically the history of this conversation, mm-hmm. especially in the 1500s. Like it, it culminated in people persecuting and even killing each other because of this debate. Wow. Which is just the darkest underbelly of Christianity, in my opinion. Totally. You know, one of the many examples of that dark underbelly. Oof. So heaven help us. But, um, they're saying literal body and blood are present here. But one thing, let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah. Okay. So here it is. This is a quote that I found on uh, an article written by a Lutheran minister. He said, transubstantiation leads to the assertion that the body and blood of Christ remain present even apart from the administration of the supper, which is the Lutheran that the Lutherans have an issue with that. Um, the Eucharist actually shouldn't remain present mm-hmm. with Jesus's body and blood beyond the Lord's supper moment. Like you wouldn't have to run in and go get it out of a fire. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like if there's some leftover, it's no longer sacred if it stays in the church. That's good because I've I have made French toast out of communion bread at River House. <laughs> you looked worried for a second. I was a little worried. <laughs> yeah, and like also I hope people don't take that the wrong way. Yeah, I hope they don't. I mean, after Haley's and my wedding, we had communion bread and it yeah. was a beautiful loaf of bread, mm-hmm. and we didn't know it, but my mom froze that loaf of bread. <laughs> And we ate it after we got back home from our honeymoon. Oh, that's so And my nice. mom was like, does this bread look familiar? And we're like, it tastes delicious. I don't know. What is it? And she said, it's your communion bread from your wedding. <laughs> we're like, whoa, what? Really? Is this, is this okay? Surprise communion. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a good example of it. It's yeah, like, yeah. In the Catholic tradition, 
um, even to wash out the goblet that the wine was in, mm-hmm. they have to use something that's disconnected from the city sewage so that the sink in the back that washes that cup out wow. um, drains just into the earth instead of into the sewer system. Um, because that's a more sacred way of disposing of any like very small remains yeah. of the blood of Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that shows you how committed they are to the idea that like once it becomes body and blood, it is. Yeah. And consubstantiation says otherwise that it's actually the, the body and blood are only co commingling, mm-hmm. like present with one another in the moment of the Lord's supper. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was actually news for me in yeah. studying this. I, I didn't know that element of it. But again, yeah, they, they maintain both a carnal and a spiritual eating and drinking. And that this was absolutely necessary in your view of <laughs> the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the Lutheran approach. Uh, is it worth saying that like the Lutheran approach is one to look at because they were sort of the preeminent reformation movement they're like the first protestants right exactly yeah that's a good way to say yeah the first protestants so what martin luther did is significant because it was the first step away yeah from the catholic tradition in europe at least did martin luther have something to say about the eucharist being the center point of church oh i would love to know the answer to that because I, I just from there was a talk by Francis Chan that he gave here at a conference. Mm-hmm. He talked about like around the 1500 mark is when it became not the center, mm-hmm. which I mean, kind of like in the, the time when it really became a big issue. Mm. So I'm just curious if that if anything that Martin Luther would have done would have changed the trajectory there or if it was the controversial nature of it that made it not the center. I don't know. My, my sense is that Martin Luther still very much upheld the same level of reverence for it mm-hmm. as the Catholics. I'm getting that from your notes too. Are you? Yeah. I don't think I'm not, but I was Yeah. Just I just think it's worth saying. Yeah. And in that talk that Francis Chan gave, um, he actually references the fourth person that we're going to look at today. Oh, perfect. I, I don't know where he grounds that idea totally, though I understand some of it. Um, as the movement from the Eucharist being the center of our gatherings to the pulpit now becoming the center Um, and the Lord's Supper being something that we just kind of do occasionally when Mm -hmm. it's convenient or whatever. Um, He he pointed fingers at Ulrich Zwingli. 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 He he was a Swiss theologian, Um, but we'll get to him fourth. Perfect. Is it okay if we jump into John Calvin? Yeah, super ready for it. Um, I know people at Riverhouse like to m- make comments about John Calvin because Calvinism is like <gasps> reformed, scary, like yeah. not, not a theology that um, we affirm. And I just want to encourage you to remember that John Calvin was a devoted Christian who was a genius and he committed his life to Christ and he was imperfect. Yeah. Just like Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther and any of the rest of us. But so good. I'm I, I'm amazed at the brilliance of all of these thinkers. Come on. Um, even though I don't agree with all of the things that they say. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, you're such a treasure. Wow. I love you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you too. Oh, thanks for saying that. No, I just, man, I just wish people thought like you more. Well, but. thanks. <laughs> I, I guess I felt like that was important because yeah. in my experience in some conversations with people at Riverhouse, Calvin has kind of become a bad name. Oh, you're Calvinist. Yeah. Growing up, it was such a bad name for me. Yeah. Like, especially funny? from like a, a Wesleyan church background, huh. you know? Yeah. It's like they, for some reason I picture them like at just incredible odds <laughs> fighting each other, like fist fighting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, probably. So. Which is funny because I mean, centuries later when John Wesley came on the scene, he adopted a ton of Calvin's theology. Mm-hmm. He refuted some other parts of it, but yeah, Calvin was like, a, he was a cornerstone thinker in the Christian church, kind of regardless of what denomination you belong to. He's helpful. So good. So that said, Calvin is going to take an, a step further from transubstantiation and say, um, actually the physical body and blood of Jesus aren't present. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, it, it's the bread isn't changing into flesh. Flesh isn't joining with the bread, but spiritually that is happening. Hmm. So physically it's not spiritually it is. And so he called his solution, the real spiritual presence solution yeah. to communion. Um, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're obtaining nourishment from Christ in his person through the repeated event of the Lord's supper. So I think that's something that is worth pointing out that in all of these views, like when I consume the Lord's supper, something is actually happening to me and it's a sacred intermingling with myself and Jesus by the grace of the Holy spirit. I just realized that I didn't, I didn't realize that John Calvin was alive when Martin Luther was alive. Oh yeah. He was younger. Yeah. John or um, Martin Luther started all of his reformation stuff before John yeah. Calvin did. But mm-hmm. um, one, I didn't realize it was that era. But yeah. Wow. It's helpful to think about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's like a whole generation of these g- guys that were really fundamental in the way we think about theology now. Wow. And they were all contemporaries with each mm-hmm. other. It's very cool. That is kind of cool. All right. Even though they like, they were pretty savage toward each other, <laughs> especially Martin Luther. He was really rude. <laughs> well, I mean, you see that even in like the Lutheran confession of like, and we don't agree with anyone else. <laughs> we refute anyone else. Yeah. Well, yeah, you should read some of John Calvin's words. He calls the views of transubstantiation and consubstantiation as like not only heretical, but demonic. Wow. Yeah. He uses some really brutal language That's to wild. say like actually Satan has contorted the way that the Romanists are thinking about this. Hmm. Um, and it's so savage that they would ever consider eating our Lord's flesh. So he's wow. like really leaning into the offense that yeah. the people heard in John six, okay. which maybe is warranted. Yeah. I mean, they were offended again. All options are on the table here. Yeah. Did, uh, Sorry, I just am interested about church history. It's fun. Uh, did Martin Luther consider transubstantiation a heresy? No. Or he just like, because it's like so similar. He just like had a, an edit mm-hmm. on it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, because John Calvin feels like, that feels like a much bigger split than Martin Luther yep. and the Catholic church on this, at least. Definitely. Okay. Not having any physical presence is a bigger step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... 
I think it's worth saying that in all three of these views, Jesus's presence is actually there. Yes. Yeah. So they're, they're really clear to say the real presence. And I think I really, I like that idea. I think that's, I probably would agree to this real presence idea because that is like the communion we saw in in the new Testament, Hmm. which is like this real knowing and hanging out and like being with one another. And if we believe in the presence of the Holy spirit, don't we think, I think we could do that now too. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I don't know. But then it gets into like, Oh, so you know, Jesus is more present. At a time than other times? Yep. That's a whole nother thought. Okay, so maybe it's worth... We could do more on John Calvin, but let's let's skip into the fourth one. If you want. Because what you just said is is a good segue there. Zwingli, mm-hmm. the Swiss theologian that was also a contemporary of these guys. Wow. He like had in-person active deba- debates with Martin Luther. Um, so they were contemporaries. Wouldn't it be cool to be there? Whoa. I bet Martin Luther yelled really loud, supposedly. Would you, would you have to know <laughs> German or? F- yeah. Okay. German. Wow. Yeah, I bet it'd be very exciting. And, you know, a bunch of people yelling German at each other is intense. <laughs> it sounds kind of fun. Yeah. It's like, it's oh, you were like complimenting each other? Yeah. It sounded like you hated each other. You were just talking about what you had for lunch? hmm <laughs> <laughs> Turns out they're just German. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> just so German. fun. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, now I'm spacing on what you said that was the good segue because I was going to oh. tie it back in. Um, I like the more is he more present during oh. one part than another like the presence of christ is with us thank you how can he be more present in the lord's supper thank you you brought it right back i'm i was listening to a theologian who takes a more zwingli-esque approach to communion and what he said is um jace you and i right now are physically present with each other yeah we are present in that we are in one another's company in the physical mm-hmm But, uh, if I started daydreaming and imagining that I was, I don't know, having ice cream with my buddy from college, I don't know why that's what came into my mind. I, I could be in a real way present with that friend. Yeah. So there's a different kind of presence happening there. Hmm. There's like an actual presence, but then like a physical presence, but then another presence that could take my consciousness away from the physical Wow. where I'm interacting with something that isn't even there in space or time, mm-hmm. but I'm present with it in that moment. Does yeah, that make sense? Totally. So this guy pointed that out to say, um, the Holy spirit is always present with us in the same way that you and I are physically present with each other. Mm-hmm. The, the Holy spirit is actually present with us. Yeah. And, um, I have an opportunity to ref- reflect on Jesus in a way that brings my consciousness to presence with him. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Which I think is even a different way of talking about his presence as we understand it in our church at river house, mm-hmm. because 
there seems to be like, that's not talking about manifestations of God's presence, which is a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, What this is saying instead is like, I'm becoming more present with Jesus because now my consciousness is with him. I'm thinking about him, but the Ulrich Zwingli approach is Jesus's flesh and blood are not literally present with the bread or wine in any way, physical or spiritual. Oh, okay. It's symbolic. Yeah. Which is what we'll, we can just call the symbolic approach. Is it, I mean, it's a symbol that would allow us to become more present with the Holy Spirit though. Is that what his view is? Yep. Which is, I mean, I mean, people use that word all the time. Like, you know, mindfulness allows you to become more present where you're at. Sure. That's good. Which I don't know if that just means focused or aware, all those kinds of things. But I'm like, I don't necessarily disagree with that completely, you know? Totally. Of like, I think there's, I could be having my quiet time with the Lord and my mind elsewhere. Or like even just reading the scripture and being enthralled by like the stories that are there, but like not focused on the presence of God. Huh. Yeah, it's worth so I'm like, out. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I see this too. You see it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, huh? It's so interesting. I thought I was going to like really disagree with this one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which, I'm, which I don't know if I would land on this completely and just be like, I'm a Zwingli, <laughs> Zwinglian. Yeah. <laughs> Zwingliest. <laughs> Zwingligander. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Why, why do we like, if these are like contemporaries, we need to have like Calvinists, Lutherans and Zwingliites or something. I think there is a word like that. We just don't hear it as much. I oh. think it's Zwinglian. Zwinglian. I think you got it the first time. Why aren't there any like Zwinglian church? <laughs> That's a good question. First Zwinglian church of Boise. I'll be honest. They, the Zw- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's Again, really fun to, to talk say. about the division. Yeah. Zwingli, especially because it was, he mm-hmm. spoke German. And so Zwingli. Zwingli. Um, well, like, Zwingli. <laughs> uh, he was, um, viewed as the outlier here more than the others. Yeah. Um, the Catholics viewed all the Protestants as outliers, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was, there was something that like in later generations, the people who followed the thoughts of Zwingli were called the Anabaptists. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of, he like branched off and started the movement that became the Anabaptist movement. Oh wow. Okay. Which, turned into the Baptist movement, which arguably turned into evangelical America. So yeah, uh, he, he is really influential in the way that we think in the church in the U S. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and Anabaptist means rebaptizers. They're oh. the rebaptizers. So they're the ones it, it was a, um, it was a derogatory term that the other Protestants came up with mm-hmm. to say, you're the ones that don't believe that your child baptism meant anything. So you oh, go yeah. get rebaptized mm-hmm. because you don't affirm that the Holy Spirit is sacramentally doing something in your baptism. Yeah. And in the same way, you don't believe that anything sacramentally or spiritually significant is happening during communion. It's all just symbolic for you rebaptizers. Wow. So there's like, there's some shade. Yeah, totally. That was thrown at the Zwingli crowd even in the way that they were named. That's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. Kind of fun history there yeah. for you. History is fun. Dude, isn't it? It's great. I mean, also sad, all the division. I'll but acknowledge that, but totally it's interesting. Tragic. Yeah. Yeah. But 
Uh, I'll just say Zwingli is looking at John and uh, other parts where Jesus says, this is my body. Um, and he says, is, is supposed to be interpreted as signifies. So it's a metaphor. In other words, mm-hmm. when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, it yeah. signifies. And I mean, he's writing this in the 1500s. Nobody had said that and been like, had started a movement out of that Wow! in all of church history until him. When he said, what Jesus is saying here is a metaphor. Wow. It had been suggested by another guy before him, I found, named Cornelius Hohen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that guy didn't go anywhere with his theology. Nobody followed him. I mean, was he imprisoned by the Catholic Church? You know, like, <laughs> probably. Probably. You Honestly, know? that happened to a lot of people. They were not even imprisoned, but like killed. Like the first guy to translate the Bible into English was a guy named John Wycliffe. And he was burned by the Catholic Church, unfortunately. Wild. Dude, Christian history is so messy. Um, what's this uh, John 6, 63 verse? Oh, yeah. This is, this is actually significant. And I think it's the biggest biblical support for the Zwingli approach. Um, so he denies transubstantiation using this. So in that whole discourse where Jesus is saying... Um, I am the bread of life, eat of me, drink of my blood. He says towards the end of that chapter, you look confused, but don't you know, John six sixty three says, mm-hmm. it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no available, uh, of no avail. He starts to mention like, Hey, these are actually spiritual matters. Yeah. Um, that's what Jesus says in John six around 63. Let me pull it up. Uh, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, so that many of his disciples, when they heard this, the statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, Is this offensive to you? What then if I see if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The f- flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But the things that some of you who do not, but there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Wow. And he was saying, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him from the father. Oh, there's a lot of directions you could go with just that chunk isn't there yeah i may read a little bit too much no i'm glad you did okay i guess the 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 point that is most significant in that for this conversation's sake is where jesus says are you offended this is spiritual is that a paraphrase yeah i could say pretty much like yeah yeah because he this is right after he offends um it says words to the jews verse 41 through 58 and this is like kind of where he's ramping it up and then Jesus began to argue with, and the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yeah. And then he goes into really bringing back the truly, truly. Hmm. <laughs> truly, truly. Um, yeah. And then so he kind of completely explains it to the disciples mm-hmm. as the flesh is no benefit. Right. I'm, I'm talking the spirit about spiritual stuff. Life. Yeah. Which you might say... All right, the Bible just said it. Yeah. Checkmate. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, it's symbolic. Yeah. Um, 
I think you could still stand on John Calvin's argument pretty well there. Mm -hmm. Um, But even still, I think at least I'm convicted that you have to do something with the history of the church Mm -hmm. that for 1500 years, Christians just believed that Jesus's flesh and blood were somehow tied into it. So I'm not saying that that's what you have to believe, but I'm just saying um, if you take the symbolic approach, don't dismiss that 1500 years of God fearing Christians thought about it differently than you. Yeah. Like at least take, take a moment, a long walk and a cup of tea to ponder that so that you can have some more reverence for approaches to this that look different than yours. Mm -hmm. In the, uh, transubstantiation or the, the consubstantiation bit, you reference, uh, is it first Corinthians 11, 26 to 27? Um, but just, Oh yeah. To where the, where Paul refers to not just as this ritual of bread and wine, but also body and like blood. Good. Yeah. Like the flesh and the blood. So like Paul, you know, just short few years after the ascension of Jesus is referring to it as Mm -hmm. body and flesh. Totally. So it's like, that's obvious. Those are like the terms. And so even if it's just terms, it's like, I don't know. That means something. It it ought to mean something. Like he's choosing to use those words alongside of Hmm. bread and wine. That's great. You're sounding like a Lutheran. Great. Yeah. That's, that's also, (laughs) he used the same verse to refute transubstantiation to say, Paul isn't only talking about the flesh and the blood. Yeah. Because it's not only flesh and blood. Yeah. It's also bread and wine. So it's both. Paul, Paul mentions all of it. Yeah. Which is why Lutheran Luther ended up landing at consubstantiation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally. Which you can see. Yeah. Which I could totally see. Yeah. And I can see what Calvin's got going on. Yeah. And you know, and Zwingli might be a little dry, but Ulrich I can kind of see it. You know? Zwingli. Yeah. Dry. Funny you say that one, one thing about Ulrich Zwingli that I always come back to because for whatever reason, like of these perspectives, um, he's the one that I wrestle with a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I just love this story. Supposedly there was a time in his church where he felt like there were too many, um, like idolatries that the Roman Catholic church had suppressed and clouded. He used the word clouded to Mm -hmm. refer to the incense in the Roman Catholic church. Oh yeah. They had clouded the purity of Christianity. So he wanted to scrap it all. And just come to what is plain, simple gospel Jesus living. Wow. And so he he got rid of everything in his church, basically, except mm-hmm. a pew. <laughs> like pews for the people to sit. Yeah. Um, uh, everything meaning, you know, the paintings, the icons. Part of this was he actually dismantled the organ in his church, wow. which would have been insanely expensive and he himself was a musician and he dismantled the organ in tears the whole time praying to the Lord that he would honor his purity because he didn't want to idolize music so good instead of worshiping God Mm -hmm. so like the purity of heart that exists in Ulrich Zwingli is beautiful yeah I think you've mentioned that in the worship episode oh did I which is great that's cool 
And I think it, it shows that like, wow, the purity of heart is there. Yeah. But even now I'm like musical music is spiritual. You know, it's such a wonderful praise that we can give back to the Lord. And so I just completely feel like that is an unnecessary move. Mm. But I mean, I think probably every worship leader has a moment where it's like, let's cut the power and just like worship acapella. You know, it's like, cause it's like, it yeah. could, it, all these things do become a distra- distraction. And the, the moment you have to add electricity and power cables and XLR cables, like one could break and one can buzz and all this stuff. And it's like all these other things to manage and you're less focused on the one thing. Wow. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm coming back to <laughs> I was thinking that. Yeah. Worship. Totally. That's it. Mm-hmm. Ulrich Zwingli coming back to the heart of worship. That was his goal. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's so beautiful. And one thing that I just love is like, I'm really confident we're just going to be communing with all of these people in heaven. <laughs> yeah. You know? Because we have Christ in common. Um, and that's the, that's the one thing. Whether, you know, Martin Luther was a jerk and needed to calm down because he wasn't practicing the fruit of the spirit that was kindness and gentleness and yeah. peace. Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. <laughs> but he'll be there. I'm yeah. really confident. Absolutely. That's um, so good. And I'll thank him for the church that my father grew up in. And I'm like a fruit of his ministry. Yeah. Which is cool. We all are as Protestants. That's wild. Huh. Um, okay. I, and I just want to point this out too. This is a quote from Ulrich Zwingli. Um, he says, he, he was kind of defending himself because a lot of people said, you're removing Christ entirely mm-hmm. from the Lord's Supper. If it's just symbolic, Jesus's body and blood aren't present in the elements at all, the elements being the bread and the cup, then like, is it even a sacred meal? Yeah. Is it anything? Is it just another meal? And what he said is, we believe that Christ is truly present in the Lord's Supper. Yea, we believe that there is no communion without the presence of Christ. So I, I just want to point that out. He says... This is proof, quote, where two or more, two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, unquote. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. So in a way, the move that Zwingli's making is, of course, Jesus is present because Jesus is present with the communion of the saints. Yeah. When, when saints come together, he's present. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not necessarily so much more present when we're taking communion. Yeah. And I think that's the move that he then started to dismiss the Lord's Supper from the center of the Christian gathering and say, honestly, all we need is togetherness. We don't actually need the bread and the cup as often. Mm -hmm. Whereas John Calvin, I had a quote up here somewhere. I don't know if I'm going to find it super quickly, but oh yeah, he said, uh, Calvin argued that communion should be something that we observe whenever the word is preached or at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that you should do regularly because you're actually communing with Jesus when you do this. And it's it's important for yeah. your spiritual health. Mm-hmm. Zwingli doesn't see that. He just sees the communion of saints as an important thing. Let's get together. Yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's like... I could see where Calvin lands on that, but in the new, in the old Testament, like, I mean the new uh, Testament church, 
communion was the togetherness of the believers hmm. too, you yep. know? Um, I think the, the vehicle for that was a dinner, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what just brought people together more 1500 years prior was food yeah. after like the work and like, it's just more, I don't know, less structured that way. Hmm. But if like we have this like set day where we all come together to focused on Christ and he says, we're two, two or more of you are gathered. I'm in your midst. Hmm. Is that not also communion with one another and with God? Yeah. Like we would also call that communion. That's good. In a way. Yeah, it's good. I, I think I've realized we I talked about this in staff meeting about just like the presence of God and kind of this whole question of like, well, is he more present when we're doing this one act than another act or whatever? And I don't know if this is true and I feel like I'm still unpacking it, but I'm kind of like seeing the presence of God or like my access to the presence of God, like a hose with a valve at the end, you know? Hmm. And when I turn my attention and my time and I give of myself to him, I'm opening up that valve to access the presence that's always there. Wow. That I am able to access. Hmm. Um, but the, the amount of presence that is there is only controlled by my focus on wow. it. Sure. Because if the Holy Spirit's in me and God is infinite, like, I don't know, how do you quantify the amount of presence? Yeah. So it's like, what if we always have infinite God? We just are controlling the tap with our, what we're focusing on and what we're giving him. That's a good question. I don't know. That's like, that's, and it kind of wrestles with all this too, mm -hmm. a little bit. It does. That's why it's on my mind. And I'm like, and I think what's cool about this illustration for me, and you can debunk it in five seconds. It's okay. No. <laughs> um, is you can that tell I'm thinking. when we are gathered two or three, two or more, you know, if we all have a garden hose, that's at a hundred PSI. Wow. Yeah. And we all untap it. We have way more presence than we would have alone. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. That seems kind of cool. That seems I don't know. Beautiful. I don't know what that is or, or what the theology, the, theology is behind that. But, um, that's where I think even taking, like, I would say a big part of what the Lord, the Lord's supper is and the act of communion and the Eucharist is that it's done in community. Mm. Sure. That's critical, isn't it? I think that is like maybe one of the objective things about it. Even. Wow, that's good. Interesting and maybe even controversial because yeah. we, I think even in our church, have commanded, not commanded, but invited people to take communion regularly, even as much as once a day on their own. Just go get some bread and grape juice yeah. and do it. Um, which, to your point, curious, maybe it's actually not communion if you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. Because it's not communal i would say like if <laughs> i would think it, it's two or more you know yeah so if you're a husband and wife like to take communion is a super beautiful thing or your family but if you are single or like have roommates i mean that counts too if you're taking it together yeah. i don't know i remember i remember that call at the beginning of the year to take communion every day but i always pictured it in my head when the church was doing it as they were doing it with other people hmm. i never saw a single person Maybe that's because maybe I'm married. That's why yeah. I never pictured a single person having communion by themselves, which I'm like, you could do like, it's a, I mean, I don't think that would be a bad thing. Sure. 
I mean, there are worse things you can spend your time on <laughs> than the, eating bread, drinking like grape the juice, remembrance of Christ and remembering you know? Christ. Yeah. But that's good. But it's like, yeah, what's communion? <laughs> I forget if I've ever said this on the podcast, but I used to work at a Presbyterian church in Eastern Idaho and my pastor was gone one Sunday and he told me that I wasn't allowed to officiate communion right. for the church because he was ordained and officiating communion is something that's so sacred that you need to know what you're doing before you do it. Yeah. And for him, ordination is the bar to enter into that. And like the Catholics and a lot of those other mainline um, denominations would agree with that, that you shouldn't be able to officiate communion unless yeah. you like have a particular person or position. And I just want to say that not to disagree with you, but to say that exists. Yeah. Um, and so that argument is present in mm -hmm. this conversation. Um, and I think even if that is still true, at least remembering Christ in the eating of bread and drinking of wine or grape juice is, I mean, like you said, there are worse things you could do. Yeah. Even if that is true. Huh. Isn't this funny how, yeah. how much you can split hairs in this conversation? Oh, totally. Yeah. And, oh, what were you saying earlier? Oh, I wanted to say about presence with the whole hose analogy with the valve. Yeah. Um, again, I, I think my experience affirms what you said is true and that sometimes that hose just turns on when I'm not paying attention. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of both of those things. That's true. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like, like, cause you could be doing something and like, yeah. And all of a sudden God like yeah, knocks the, you off your horse. Exactly. <laughs> the Lord just like intervenes and like, you know, says something or draws your attention away. And mm. yeah. So it's not like even my own doing. Yeah. Yeah. That could, that like that could bring up the theology of striving and stuff. Like well, that. yeah, it's good. It just made me think of another argument that existed in the United States this time between two preachers named Charles Finney and Jonathan Edwards, both predominant preachers during the great awakening in the mm -hmm. U S amazing men of God, both of them, but they had different answers to this kind of a question. Charles Finney said, we need to like prepare the room for God's presence or else he won't come. Yeah. We need to have an altar call because that's what God does is respond to altar calls. Mm -hmm. He can't help himself, but respond in those kinds of moments. That's like Charles Finney yeah. kind of language. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Edwards would say, don't you dare tell God what he can and cannot do. Totally. God will do whatever he wants to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, you stoking the fire with an altar call is just emotionalism. You're just trying to force something to look like God that probably isn't authentically God in the first place, wow. which is like, whoa, yeah. both you can hear in our culture, both of those arguments still exist in America. Absolutely. Um, they both have good points and they both have yeah, good points. It's like, wow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> sure. I see ya. I'm I maybe I'm just like way too much of like just a piece of clay in in all these guys' <laughs> hands. I'm like, yeah, totally. I agree one hundred percent. I'll go just, to your church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever and, one is. And the next one's like, Oh me. wow, that's pretty good too. All right, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I'm like, <laughs> I guess what I like about it is that all of these things are within the mystery of what it means to be Christian. Yeah. And if someone came up to you and said something that was overtly not Christian, like 
like if they used words like we manipulate God or like we build a little structure that looks like God and worship him, worship it. Yeah. You know, that would set off heresy flags inside mm-hmm. of you. <laughs> totally. You'd be like, I'm not actually just malleable to anything. Exactly. But I'm malleable within this space of the people who agree on the essentials of Christianity. That's so good. Don't you think that's healthy? No, I think it is healthy. And I mean, I don't want to like, yeah, toot my own horn, but I think that (laughs) is actually a really healthy place to be. And cause I, cause yeah, those heresy flags would light up and like, yeah. Be like, oh, that's not right. But all this is like, yeah, it totally could be that. And it's not, yeah. not we're we're not getting after like the essentials of Christianity as much as we are just, yeah, splitting hairs. That's good. Like if you went to a church that never took communion, I would say that's a problem. Yeah. Because it's a command. Jesus mm-hmm. said, do it. And actually, this is a really wonderful question that Tom Lopak brought up. Jesus mentions, um, this is my body, eat of it. This is my blood drink of it. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Do you remember those words? Yes. Yeah. Which Tom asked me, and I thought it was a really insightful question. um, How else would we be regularly proclaiming Christ's death? It's like Jesus gave us a ritual Mm -hmm. to remember and celebrate the center of our faith, which is the crucifixion and the resurrection. Yeah. And that we partake of Jesus's very being in like, whether that's a literal or metaphorical or physical Mm -hmm. thing, we actually are partakers of Christ somehow in a mysterious way in his death and in his resurrection. And every time we do communion, we celebrate that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's more than anything. That's a feast that Jesus instituted that we ought to do. Now what it means, we can argue about that till we're blue in the face, but I think we need to recognize just the, the the simplicity of Jesus's words and the command. So good. Is that fair? No. Yeah. I think that's a good, good kind of place to end. Yeah. It's cool. And, and I, I think one thing that we wanted to touch on was just that I think it's one of those things that we should be okay with it being a mystery. Yep. That it's like, I think it's okay to, to talk about it. I mean, obviously we're dedicating an hour to it right now, but like, talk about it and think about it and realize just how actually overlapping all these views are in a lot of ways. Mm. And that like, there aren't these heresy flags popping up throughout these thinkers. Um, But that it's, they kind of paint a a total picture that's yes. And, and it's like a mystery and yeah, there's, there's physical and there's spirit and yeah. But yeah, it's holy. Like I think it's objectively holy and, beautiful i don't know that's good and like and yeah let's just leave it at that like that mm-hmm. that's i guess to show my cards with communion that's where i leave leave yeah. it is like i think it's so fascinating obviously i've been i'm not conjuring up excitement for this stuff i think it's really fascinating <laughs> but at the end of the day i sit with i just want the presence of god you know? Yeah. And I like see the value, like the deep, deep value and, and call of Christ for community and communion with him and how that all happens. I, I, I don't know. And I'm okay with that. And I'm like, I like the, 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 the faith to believe that it is mystical is really, really beautiful for me. And like, there's a, a holiness to that, uh, 
a, a beyond me that I, I like. That's a perfect place to land. I think thanks for saying all that. Yeah, I agree. I, I've probably said this before on the podcast cause it really um, influenced me, but I had a professor that said good theology is the study of what God has revealed to us and the study of the boundary line between that, which we can and cannot know. Hmm. And it seems to me that there's a lot that we cannot understand yeah. about the mysteries of faith and communion is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I don't think we have to have to land on one of these. If we did have to land on it, then it would be more clear from the words of Jesus. Yeah. We'd be okay. Totally. He would have taken care of that for us, mm-hmm. but it's, it's Christ and Christ alone at the end yeah. of the day. Come on. That's so good. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Yeah. Praise God. All a big, long educational conversation just to come back to Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the pray the, the prayer that we pray at the beginning. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. We hit our objective there. Well, praise God. I think what's fun about our next conversation is we get to kind of just dive into this, like this thread throughout scripture of why communion and like, you know, like yep. what's the biblical, like, the sacrifices, what it's representing, the call to eat with the Lord and like that, this theme of eating throughout, um, scripture, um, in, in relationship to our our connection with God. So that's good. Yeah. Like in none of this conversation today, did we even mention that it was during a Passover feast that Jesus instituted this? Oh yeah. And like, there's like symbolism on symbolism in this and it's so wonderful. Oh, it's just gorgeous that only God could paint a picture like this. Mm hmm. Totally. Yeah. Which just like that, all that will just point to like, yeah, we should do this. Like, For which sure. is cool, you know? Honestly. Yeah. I think when you get into theology, it's like you can, you know, you can map out the whole coral reef and you have all this stuff. And then like, you know, two weeks later, you're like, oh, that's new. You know, like I didn't see that fish before. And and so I think that for me, that's what systematic theology is. It's just like, yeah, this is so cool. And look how all this interacts and like, oh, that, that wasn't here a month ago. And look, that's a new color. Shoot. All right. That just broke my rules. Yeah. That broke my rules. I didn't know that fish could do that. I guess it only does it like every three months. Well, maybe I'll create a new systematic theology around that. Yeah. Then it'll break your rules again. (laughs) Oh, uh, we love boxes as humans, don't we? We do. We just do. And I'm sure God chuckles when he breaks them. Mm-hmm. He oh, sees yeah. us in like existential crisis. I wonder mm-hmm. if he was just in heaven chuckling at Zwingli and Martin Luther as they were just like yelling at each other theology. Totally. He's like, you guys are so silly. They're just like arguing over all this stuff and you're both my children. Yeah. Like I look at you as sons, just making a big fuss yeah. out of nothing. You're just a human that wants to be loved. Yeah, and they're doing their best <laughs> yeah. to love God as well as they possibly totally. can. And that's awesome, and I honor that. God probably also thought, I'm glad I only speak Hebrew. <laughs> this is intense. <laughs> I forgot God only speaks Hebrew. <laughs> it's especially funny because that thought is in English when you just spoke it. <laughs> that's good. Wow, well... Thank you, friends. If you're interested in this conversation, tune in again next week, and we're going to talk more about just the biblical view of the Eucharist. Um, 
this has been a long systematic <laughs> theological approach and yeah if you if you stuck with us this long thanks yeah you're you nerded out with us and we so appreciate good. the nerding yeah so we bless you and encourage you to allow this conversation to root itself in your heart yeah so that the next time you approach the table you might see the lord's supper with a little more reverence yeah a little more gratitude even than before i think i will yeah i will too so good all right all right talk to you later bless you bye bye thank you so much for listening to the deep waters podcast if you have comments questions or concerns maybe even a recipe or two please send them to deep waters at riverhouseministries.com and if you would like to join us at riverhouse for sunday service we meet at the vineyard boise at 4 p.m we'd love to see you there we cannot do this podcast without a little help from our friends our theme music was written and recorded by the riverhouse worship team production is done by jordan sodeman special thanks to isaiah guerrero for our artwork benjamin olson writes and co-hosts with me jace langley and i also edit this bad boy if you like this podcast and want to keep going on this journey of discipleship with us please leave us a review wherever you listen to the Deep Waters podcast. May Christ be with you wherever you go.